Happy Thanksgiving. It's a post-Thanksgiving turkey coma show. Lots to discuss. There's a narwhal anti-terrorist group forming in London. We got new episodes of The Mandalorian. We got uh, Mike Bloomberg just saying some craziness. We got a group of wingnut comedians making a special for Fox Nation. We got Chick-fil-A news. We got sunbathing your butt, which was a crazy tweet. We got college football. And we got Kung Fu Rick coming to you from across the spectrum of goodness. What's up, Rick? How you doing today, Michael? Glad to be here, man. I am doing okay. We're we're recording uh we're recording this on a Saturday. On a Saturday, because I'm gonna be doing a little bit of traveling tomorrow and will be unavailable. So I wanted to get everybody caught up on what's going on. Uh I love the podcast. I love doing it. So here we go. I got my my Ohio State. I got my Buckeyes on in the background. Uh they're they're duking it out with Michigan. In the greatest game of all time, whoa, Nelly, tell Grandma to sell the farm and move to the big city. We got us a barn burner. It's weird. This is it. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the cast. This is the first college football I've watched all year. Now, granted, I've been insanely busy, insanely busy. Uh, but it, it's, of course, I want uh, Ohio State's where I went to college, so I always want my Buckeyes to do well. I always want my Buckeyes to beat Michigan, but overall, I'm I'm not hanging on every snap. I'm not hanging on every game. Uh, I I couldn't tell you every you know college team's record. I don't know who the top five are. It's a little it's a little bit of a of a, of a bummer, and I'm trying to figure out. Maybe it's just that I'm just busy. I, I hope I'm not jaded. I know I gave up on the NFL. The NFL, I'll never give the NFL another nickel. And here's why, you guys. I'll start with this preamble. Uh, growing up in the great state of Ohio, the heart of it all, my older brothers were uh, Cincinnati fans. They liked the Cincinnati teams, the Cincinnati Reds, the big red machine. They liked the Bengals. And because I was the youngest and when everybody zigs, I zag. I decided to be a Cleveland fan, the Cleveland Indians, the Cleveland Browns. I didn't know at the time that I was signing up for a life of heartache and loss. I didn't know (laughs) the pain that would be inflicted upon me, but I gave up on the NFL. I didn't give up on the NFL. They gave up on me, Rick. They gave up on me when the Cleveland Browns, this is, the Cleveland Browns, in the middle of the night, uh, went to Baltimore. Art Modell, and this is too funny because this goes to big government as well. There is a uh, there is a point to all this. The Cleveland Browns uh, left in the middle of the night for Baltimore. Art Modell wanted to keep, call them the Baltimore Browns, but the people of Baltimore being so cool, and they remember the heartache of the uh, Baltimore Colts going to Indianapolis, and they're still called the Indianapolis Colts. Baltimore didn't want to do that to the good people of Cleveland, so they decided to rename the team. And that's where you get your Baltimore Ravens, and the Cleveland Browns had to start all the way over. They had to start from scratch. Uh, and they had uh, a coach who went by the name of Bill Belichick, who uh, evidently wasn't a genius back then, but is a straight-up genius now. So I told myself I would I would never give the NFL another nickel. They would never get another nickel for me. I wouldn't buy any merch. I wouldn't pay for a ticket. No, nothing. None of it. None of it. None of it. Uh, now, as fate would have it, 
this was this goes back to I was actually talking to a guy about this years ago, a, a dude who was way smarter than I. And the reason Art Modell took the Browns uh, to Baltimore is because he knew he wasn't going to be alive much longer. He knew he was going to be passing away soon. And the uh, estate tax was in full effect. And that's what happened to the owners of the Miami Dolphins, the Joe Robbie family. You know, you used to have Joe Robbie Stadium down there in Miami. Well, when Mr. Robbie passed away, the federal government came in and said, hey, uh, your dad owned this football team, which is worth X amount of dollars, and you got to pay like 50% of what it's worth or whatever the crazy estate tax was uh, back then. They couldn't raise the money to pay the tax. They had to borrow money. Then they defaulted on a payment, and that's when Blockbuster uh, took over the team. So Art Modell didn't want that to happen. So I blame the federal government and their greed for costing me the joy of the NFL. And then the national anthem thing happened, and that was like the final nail in the coffin. But I, now it used to be college college football used to be my sanctuary. That used to be my uh, – that's where I would go to find my happiness, but that's not that's not doing it for me. Maybe it's just because I've been so busy and I just haven't been following along. It's like a soap opera, and it's already started, and now I feel like I can't jump in. No, 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 no. Actually, I, I want to back up for a second because as someone who is officially now a bi-coastal elite, you, sir, are jaded. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it is. I'm part of the bi-coastal elite. That's what happens. That's so, what happened. The first thing to go is your love of football. Be aware. Be keep it. Keep your head on a swivel for these warning signs that you're part of the elite ruling class. First thing that goes, your love of the game. Your love of football. No, Maybe I, that's what it is. No, I, no, I mean, honestly, I mean, yeah. Joking aside, um, college football's always kind of been my thing too. Because I don't know, I, I I I am jaded when it comes to the NFL, but I've always been jaded when it comes to the NFL because I get resentful of people playing the same game that we all played as kids in our backyards, making millions of dollars. The college kids always seem like you know it was this thing where. They actually built bonds throughout their college career. You knew they were going to be there for a certain amount of time, uh, barring injury or other things. And they just seemed like, because you know, they hadn't made it yet, they actually were really trying. My other thing that always kind of turned me off with the NFL is once they sign that check or get that bonus, all of a sudden they're like, oh, now i got to stop trying so hard because I don't want to hurt myself and I want to be able to write out my contract. But yeah. now, but now they're, ki- they're killing college for me too because every – Everything is now under review. Like, I was watching the last OU game, which OU is my team. Always has been my team. Always is going to be my team. Um, but at the same time, every other play was under review during during their last game. And I'm like, what used to be a three-and-a-half-hour game is now a four, four-and-a-half-hour game because the refs are reviewing everything they possibly can. It yeah, takes- that slows it down quite a bit. That And then you throw in some injuries in there, and it's going to take a long time. I am really conflicted about this. I really am. The uh, The amount of money that's generated by college football, the, the amount of money is just staggering. And then you have these kids coming out. They're coming out of high school. They're playing college football. And, and I, normally I pride myself uh, with this show of having some kind of hope, some kind of answer, some kind of like light in, in the dark forest. I don't. I, if – if it was me and I was a great college football player uh, and I knew I was going to go pro and everything's great, like if if the NFL offered me a multi-million dollar contract when I was like a freshman or a sophomore, I'd totally take it. 
I totally take it. I'm like, what? What do you you, you expect me to play uh, two or three more years in college, where all of a sudden, uh, you know, I tear my Achilles and I'm done forever, and I have nothing. I have nothing. But I don't. I also don't want to pay the college football players. I, I don't. I mean, it's uh, it's. It's crazy. It feels like our priorities are out of whack. It well, feels like the priorities are out of whack. It's interesting that you bring up the whole NCAA and the paying college players thing because that's actually something that is currently under discussion. And I think yeah. it's, I think it's going to wind up being one of those things where they're going to kind of split things down the middle. And while they are going to be able to make money off of their branding, it's probably going to wind up being put in a trust until they uh, declare themselves ineligible. It's probably you know what? where that's going to wind up going. Maybe that is the solution, putting in a trust, because that's the other thing that's just heartbreaking. That's just heartbreaking when you see like these kids, you know, it, it is a way out. You're in a bad neighborhood. You play college football. You play pro. And they tell these guys, if you ever watch that show on HBO, uh, you know, where they they follow one team for the whole season, every NFL player, they have to attend all these meetings uh, at the beginning of the season, especially the, the incoming you know rookies. They're like, hey. Uh, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. You'll get sued if you do this. Don't do that. Take care of your playbook. Oh, and by the way, and they have a, a, a person who comes in. It's usually a, a former NFL guy who says the majority of you guys are going to be uh, bankrupt and addicted to some kind of substance when you retire. It's going to end horribly. So keep your eye on. And I guess every player thinks, oh, not me, not me. But it like it happens to the vast majority of players. They retire and they're addicted and their bodies are all beat to hell and uh, and they, they have no money. It's so incredibly sad. It's so incredibly sad. They are like the modern day gladiators. They just get out there. They entertain us on a Sunday. And then we're like, all right, get out of my face. You're you're old and broken. Da, 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 da. You're, you're just a ball of cheer today for you know a couple, I know. couple days after you know a holiday and you're just like eh. i mean what is it is it because christmas coming up and you're just not in the spirit for that yet or you know? christmas is coming up and my man did some decorating i'll put this on instagram i'll put it on i i found my favorite uh christmas decoration ever it's a little uh it's snoopy's doghouse and there's a little statuette thing, a Snoopy, and there's a little thing of Charlie Brown, and it's Snoopy's doghouse when it's all tricked out uh, from the Christmas special, and he's got the lights on it and everything. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. And you press a button, and there's an action. I don't want to spoil it, but it's pretty flipping awesome. Yeah, it's save, pretty. Save, save, save the action for the Insta story. But yeah, backing up to the, <laughs> backing up for the to the NCAA thing just for another second to kind of clarify where that idea came from. Our quarterback for last year, Kyler, Kyler Murray, actually signed with the Oakland A's while he was still playing college football. And what they okay. made him do was put that money in a trust until he declared himself ineligible. And then he went on and tried to do the Bo Jackson thing because now he's trying to play for the A's and play football at the same time. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. So, yeah. Good luck with that. Good luck. I think the sport has evolved. I don't think you're going to find like a Bo Jackson type that can do both anymore. I think I think this the sports are, are evolving. It's crazy to watch like the human body uh, just when you specialize it like that. And I go to tennis here. I was a big I was a big tennis guy. Uh, love, love, love playing tennis. And when they made the switch, this is this is going to sound so old. And I, I realized that right before I said it, this is going to make me sound ancient. You're aging yourself, sir. I really am, 
but like I played with a uh, a metal racket. It was one of like the first generations of the really light aluminum metal rackets, and everybody was like, "Oh, metal rackets are ruining the game." But still, it was like a Jimmy Connors T two thousand, I think was the name. Wilson made it, and it was a great little <laughs> racket. And then they came out with these oversized rackets that were like aluminum and ceramic, and it was and that was bizarre. Like the rackets were so huge. Then they got really powerful. And then that's when tennis really took a dive. I mean, like like Andre Agassi was like the last really big champion. And and the, the game of tennis was like these 100-mile-an-hour serves. It was just, you know, serve, and I, I – oh, he can't hit it back. Point. Serve. Oh, he can't – and it just got so boring. It was so repetitive. And I thought that it was over. I thought, well, that's it for tennis. They can't catch up with the technology. But now uh, they have. These guys like Nadal and Federer – they because of the, their work ethic and their practice and just their physical specimens, you now have guys playing at an insane level. But you can't do two sports. Yeah, like, it, like it, you can't it, go football, baseball. You're a specialist, funny, man. It's funny that you mentioned that because you know they have those Heisman House commercials, and one of the first commercials that had Kyler in it was actually kind of making fun of the fact that they, even they're kind of pointing out that they think the sports have evolved too much to be able to do more than one. Because it's like the whole late night thing. He's walking in and everybody's standing at the staircase like, where have you been? He was like, I was playing a baseball pickup game. And they're like, and no more sneaking out for late night baseball games. And all of a sudden, Bo Jackson comes in from the other side of the house. And he's like, just came in from a late night baseball game, fellas. And walks upstairs and everybody's cool. <laughs> with, everybody's cool with him doing it. But they're looking at Kyler like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's great. Ah, that's great. Here's what I think. This is where I'm going to leave it with football. And this is how they can get me back. This is how they can get me back. Because everybody's worried about concussions and repetitive brain injuries and all that stuff. I've said it before on the show, and I will say it again. Lose the helmets. If you take the helmet away from pro football players, yes, it's going to change the game. But I, I think it's going to be so much safer. I, it's going to be so much safer. People, you're not going to use your helmet as a missile. You're not going to launch your body at somebody face first if you don't have protective covering. I think it would be great for the game. I think it would be great for the game. That's an interesting take. They just don't have the injuries. Like, they don't have the brain injuries in rugby in Europe like we have them with the NFL here in America. And it's because you, you you feel safe, you feel protected, you feel invincible. And, you know, that's kind of how you have to play the game. But uh, take away the helmet and that'll solve everything. Boom. I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I knew I'd find some optimism and some hope. Yeah. It, I mean, that, you know, it, it's interesting that you bring up rugby because I never really thought about that. They don't really use any other protective gear that we use and they don't have the same kind of injuries that we do. So This is true. This is true. Okay. Go ahead. You, you, did you did you have something else? We're gonna wrap up. We're gonna wrap up sports. I can't believe we talked so much about sports. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? No, I was just saying that actually might be something worth looking into is comparing the injury types and seeing if, seeing if maybe there is a correlation from our players kind of feeling invincible because we spend so much money on their equipment to make it more safe. And wonder if that's actually yeah. making things worse. Yeah, and I'd say you can add all the padding you want to uh, a helmet, but when you're going. Uh, 18 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden you stop. Uh, your brain sloshes around on the inside and hits the bone, hits your skull. And that's there's the helmet schmelmet. You're moving too fast. You're stopping too quick. 
Okay, some other things that I got to get to. We got to get to. We're doing fantastic. I'm, I'm really digging this show, getting a good vibe. Uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the knife attack in London. And another attack that got, like, no press was the other attack in The Hague. We'll be talking about that in just a little bit. Uh, but I do want to pat myself on the back just a little before we get to that 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 uh, terrorism, no good Nick stuff. We did a show last Sunday. When I say we, I'm talking about the the Eagles of Liberty. I'm talking about the Freedom of Laugh show, the Freedom of Laugh comedy tour. We did our Fox Nation taping last Sunday in Chicago, a very very windy Chicago at the Chicago Improv in Schaumburg. It was fantastic. It was a great night. It was an awesome night, and we got it all on tape. So uh, it's great. It was great. We had a really good-sized audience. It's a huge room. It's a huge room, Rick. It holds, like, almost 500 people, almost 500 people. We had over 300 show up, <clears throat> and it was, uh, it, it was fantastic. I cannot wait. Uh, I go back to New York tomorrow. But then I'll be in touch with the Fox Nation people on Monday uh, of next week, and then we're, they're going to start editing this thing together. And what I want to do is have them cut together a little teaser, like right out of the gate, like right out of the gate, like a little like I think three minutes, like a little trailer for the whole thing. You'd get a, you'd get a, you know, a few seconds of me, a few seconds of Reno Collier, a few seconds of Brian Hayner. And those guys had amazing shows, by the way, amazing shows. Uh, and then I'll get that little uh, trailer together. I want to post that. I want to post that at the uh, theloftestparty.com so you guys can see it. I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty darn stoked. That is actually a wonderful idea. That's one of the things I'm going to start working on is trying to make sure that we have a central place where people can come. Because now that you're on Fox all the time and everything else, everybody's complaining because they're like, we don't know how to find it. So I'm going to start trying to help with that. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that. And then here's what I find out they do, because, like, this is what I would do. I would uh, I would shoot a text to the uh, Fox Nation producer. I'm like, hey, can I get a link to the clip? And they're like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then they would link me to, uh, I think it's like foxnews.com or Fo whatever the, the website is. They usually <laughs> they usually post them. It turns out I'm a, I'm a high-functioning idiot. It never occurred to me that, oh, they, they post these as – they're not embarrassed of me <laughs> yet, <laughs> and they're actually posting the links. They don't so, know you. Uh, they don't know you as well as we do yet. No, I'm just playing. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> there will be embarrassment. It's right around the corner. Oh man, I'm so stoked. There's going to be. Uh, I think I've said this here before, but like, uh, I'm going to be hosting, co-hosting the five for a couple days right after Christmas. I'm going to be doing a. Uh, a Fox and Friends live show when they have a live studio audience. That'll be in December. And then they're also going to do a December, uh, like a Christmas show out outside right there on 47th, uh, 47th and 6th. So I'm very much looking forward to that. This is all my attempt to get invited to the Fox Christmas party. This is all I want. I want to go to the Fox <laughs> News Christmas party. I want Megyn Kelly to show up. And then I want to somehow talk to her about how much – I don't know how I'm going to weave it into the conversation about how I think she looks so much like uh, Eon Flux or Aeon Flux. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to do that. 
I want to uh, I want to see Tommy Laren do uh, a beer bong. I want uh, <laughs> I want Tucker Carlson to give me a bow tie. I want to do a gift exchange and this with lady, Shannon Bream. I want it all, man. This I want it and gentlemen all. Gentlemen would be Michael's December to remember. <laughs> it would. It would be fantastic. So that's the uh, that's the update on the Fox Nation special. It went very well. I'm very uh, very pleased. Fox Nation has never done anything like this before. It's their it's their it's the first comedy special. We're we're going where no man has gone before. And I just appreciate everybody who comes out to the shows uh, and supports uh, someone who's trying to do something on the on the culture side. I want to do something on the culture side. Get people talking about man, this is funny. This is good. It's from a different point of view politically, and we're having a good time. And it ain't hate speech. It's all in fun. We're just cracking wise and roasting the left. So it's a good, good time. Okay. Now, uh, with that, oh my gosh, I can't forget. We got I'm going to tease this one coming up. I'm looking at my list here of things I want to discuss. Uh, the Mandalorian. We'll be talking about that uh, and, and, and sunbathing your butthole. I'll talk about that, <laughs> that too. And Chick-fil-A. Okay, so here's what we're going up. Here's what we're going ne- next right now. The, uh, the, the terrorist attack in London. And in The Hague, and I think there might have been a third one, but because I don't have those facts right at my fingertips, we won't say anything about that. This uh, this knife attack in London, it's the most bizarre thing. I'm sure you probably heard about it. You listen to this show, you're up on the news. This guy had been to jail before, the attacker. He was radicalized. Uh, and what was he going to do? I think he went to jail. He was, he was planning some kind of attack, some kind of attack in London. Uh, the good people at MI6, James Bond and the gang, uh, they broke it up. The guy went to prison, uh, and then I think he took a uh, took a course maybe in how to get de-radicalized. They left, they let him out of jail. He had to wear an ankle bracelet, a little ankle monitor. But I guess yesterday he snapped, and he decided uh, enough is enough, and he was going to go uh, kill some people. In the streets of London. So we went to London Bridge with a knife. Knives are against the law, by the way, everybody. All you people who say we need gun control. And uh, it's not the weapon. It's the person with it. That's what I say. So this guy's he's stabbing people. And this is the beautiful part. This is the uplifting part of the story. This is the part that gives me hope. It was the average, everyday, ordinary person on the street who uh, attacked this guy and they stopped him. And here's where it gets, and maybe it's too soon. Maybe I shouldn't even be attempting any bit of levity here. But I watched a video of the people attacking the the terrorist. And it's one guy with a fire extinguisher. And the other guy, I'm not kidding you, has a narwhal tusk. And everyone on Twitter is saying this so casually. Like, oh, the good people of England attacking the terrorist with armed armed only with a fire extinguisher and a narwhal tusk. <laughs> and um, I, I, I just find it – it's so insane that someone has a narwhal tusk, and it's long. I didn't understand how long uh, – do you know – have you ever seen a narwhal tusk? It's long. No, actually, no, no it's, actually, I was going to say I haven't, but I realized I was <laughs> muted in a different part of my panel, so I apologize. It's like 
It's like a six foot long, like spear. Uh, who has that just lying around? Who, who is like, uh oh, there goes a terrorist. Better grab the narwhal. Is he like some British superhero? Is he narwhal man? There's got to be an explanation for this. I keep looking for it on on the the news and the Twitter. Like, why does this person have an? It's so bizarre. It's so quintessentially British. I say, there goes a terrorist. I tell you what, Johnny, you grab your fire extinguisher, I'll whip out my handy-dandy narwhal tusk, and we'll have at this man. We'll put him down like the dog he is. Aha! Narwhal tusk! Away! It's just so bizarre. I mean, I'm glad the guy did it, but that's insane. That's insane. I can't think of the last time I heard the words narwhal husk, tusk, whatever, like casually mentioned, like... Like those, and let alone uh, used to stop a terrorist. So God bless you, people of London, uh, for putting down a terrorist and doing it in a, a very, very uh, Monty Python-esque, very British fashion. I'll take him out with a narwhal. I say, I kick your ass with a narwhal tusk. You, should, you better hope I'm not in a bad mood when I've got my narwhal tusk. I'll, they've I'll, inadver- I'll, they've I'll inadver- you through. They've inadvertently discovered a secret society in London. Right? It's the Illuminati. It's the Narwhal Huskalati Naughty Naughty. So <laughs> that was the uh, <clears throat> that was the upside to that one. There was another knife attack in The Hague uh, at a busy shopping district. I don't even. This is horrible. I don't even know. If, uh, I'm sure somebody somebody obviously got hurt. Hopefully nobody died. Three but. Uh, that's when it that's when it gets coordinated. That's when I don't like it. I mean, I, I don't like it anyway, but it's like it's kind of it gets it, it takes on a creepy factor when it's like, oh, this guy's going to do a knife attack in London. Uh, and then an hour later, this guy does a knife attack in The Hague. That's when you're like, OK, this this seems like a coordinated series of attacks. It's a, Yeah, it's a. There's no comedy down this road. It's just like, man, if you see something, say something and don't wait for the police don't wait for the police because it's the it was the people on the street that did it and god they had to use a narwhal tusk and a and a fire extinguisher but hopefully this is the united states of america and hopefully somebody's packing hope hopefully somebody's got their concealed carry and just pop 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 more than 3 i'm going pop 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 <laughs> like unload the whole clip don't don't do a friday the 13th where they just shoot them once and turn your back on them. No, I want I want you to unload that whole clip into the bad guy so before I, moving away. So I look just to try to keep us as factually accurate as possible. I can only find references to the two attacks. So there was the one in London and the one in the Hague is the only two that I'm finding. Also, there were three people wounded in the Hague attack and all were minors. All were minors? Yes, as in under the age of 18. That's horrifying. So this guy goes out and just attacks kids. Oh, man. You know what? I'm with uh, about a year ago, maybe a year ago, I was watching the the Greg Gutfeld show. And uh, I finally met him, by the way. I finally met Greg Gutfeld. I get asked that. That's like the number one question people ask me. They go, oh, I saw you on Fox. Have you met Greg Gutfeld? Now I can say yes. But there was a dude. I think it was uh, former Special Forces or something, Navy SEAL. And he had a radical idea about how to end this, and and I am I'm with him on this. 
So if someone in England or the Netherlands, The Hague or where Sweden, wherever, uh, somebody is an immigrant and, and they've they've immigrated, we'll even say legally, but then they become radicalized and they uh, and they they attack. Here's what you do. Uh, you deport that person's whole family. Because it's like a different set of values. Someone thinks, OK, uh, I've, I've done my little terrorist thing and then the police are going to kill me and then I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to get all the rewards and uh, and the virgins and the whole nine yards. So there for them, it's like a step up. It's like a step up on the food chain. So if they know, OK, I might die and I might be taken care of according to my belief system, but my whole family is going to go back to Afghanistan. Oh, and I'm talking about mom, dad, brothers, sisters. The whole clan is going back to Kabul. I think it might. Uh, I think it might stop it. I think it might put a little. Uh, uh, would 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 take away some of the impetus to do this. It wouldn't. It would take some of the shine off the terrorism apple. Rick, your thoughts. Will it work? Uh, well, I mean, I, first problem is I, I think that would work, but here there would be all kinds of constitutional issues with that because you'd basically be convicted family, convicting family members for other people's crimes. But I think the one thing that would fix it is if, if they would fix that typo in the Quran because I have it on good authority. It actually says 72 Virgils, not 72 virgins. 72 Virgils? Yep. 72 guys named Virgil? Yep. That would be hilarious. That's a short, that's a little comedy skit right there. Hey, welcome. Welcome. You done blowed yourself up good. I'm here's Virgil. That's my buddy Virgil. That's his friend Virgil. There's about 72 of us. And uh, guess what your name is? Your name is uh, Jenny. (laughs) We've been waiting for you. These are all my friends Virgil, and we're very happy to meet you. (laughs) Yeah. Because we've been we've been lonely. We've been so lonely. Thank goodness a girl with a beard finally showed up. Ah, okay. Well, you know, I don't know if you could do it in the states. I, I think constitutionally, probably, but who knows? Maybe you could do it in uh, in England. Maybe you could do it in Sweden. Maybe you could do it in the Netherlands. Who knows? I, I, it's, I think it's a great idea. Legally, you probably couldn't do it. You're correct. However. I think if you knew your family was going to go down uh, Schlitz Creek without a paddle, uh, you'd, you'd be hesitant to doom them to that. There's a reason that you came to the West. There's a reason you left your home country and came to the West. All right, moving on. I like the way this is going. I like the way this is going. Uh, Michael Bloomberg finally admitted something that I think all Democrats secretly think. That he has he the view of a houseplant? Oh wait, no, probably not that. Sorry. <laughs> I, he was given an interview, uh, and I should I should know where the interview's for, but this is my lack of planning. You can see that I, I put the clip up at theloftestparty.com. I put that up there, and I wrote a little blurb about it. He's literally, and I, and like I'm saying, I think most Democrats, most liberals, they think this, uh, but they don't have the balls to say it. And, and Bloomberg did. He's talking about here's the great thing about taxing the poor. You can uh, – and I'm paraphrasing here, you guys. This is by no means a quote. He's like uh, – it's like we were trying to do with sugary drinks. Uh, it's not good for you. Those drinks aren't good for you, and they lead, they lead to uh, medical problems. So in New York, what we want to do and what I would do – what he's saying is what he would do as a leader is uh, make these unhealthy things uh, – he'd tax the crap out of them. 
So it would really hurt the poor people and modify their behavior so they would have less of it uh, and therefore they would live longer. So I'm going to tax the snot out of you because I know better than you do and I'm going to make you not do something because I don't want you to do it. I, I find it to be a terrifying notion. It's And it's always the way I, I'm like, this has always been the plan. This is always the plan. Uh, but there, Michael Bloomberg just confidently said it. He's like, well, here's what we, here's what you do. Uh, you tax the bad stuff so bad that for pe- poor people, those poor uh, idiots, uh, they can't buy it. They can't eat it. They can't drink it. They can't do it. And they'll thank me because he's he's like your parent. And that's what it is. The, the Democrats think that they are the parent. They think they know better than everyone else. And it's just that kind of egotistical decision making that just drives me bonkers. How dare you? How dare you even assume to uh, make these kind of decisions for other people? It really uh, and this is and this is uh, once again, my my problem with the left is like I can I can agree that his. His intentions, I guess you could argue, are like, I want you to do better. But you don't you don't get people to do better by punishing them and raising their taxes. It's got to be a choice that the person wants to make. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. Uh, so there, there's a there's a darker flip side to this that I don't think anybody's ever really thought of. So they're ta- right. they're taxing the poor people because they know they can't afford those things and they're going to force them to not make those decisions. However, they're also increasing the taxes on rich people who can't afford them and thereby are making their health worse and eventually the death tax kicks in. Absolutely. And then let's not forget the black market. Let's not forget the black market. Uh, if if Listen, if they – let's say Bloomberg's uh, wishes all came true – and soda was just so expensive, blah, 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 that it was like, you know, $10 for a two liter. I would so be, I wouldn't be surprised to see people hijacking uh, Pepsi trucks and like, hey, why buy it for $10 a bottle from a store? Give me five bucks and I'll give you. And then, then you've got, it's like, it's like a guaranteed way soda pirates, soda pirates. That's my new screenplay. The soda mob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of the soda mob. It's run by a bunch of eight-year-olds. Hey, you. Nice lemonade stand you got here. So be too bad if something happened to it. But yeah, I, it's it's about controlling people's behavior. It's really, really it. it I, I found it so distasteful, and that's and that's what uh, it's what I hate about. I really despise about the Democratic Party. It's it's like. The Democrats, I, I slipped and called them Democratic. The Democrats, it's like, hey, uh, you have to. We, I want to increase your your gas prices. Well, well, why? Because we're gonna we're gonna help out poor people. And you're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're gonna waste that money. You're gonna waste that money like you've wasted all the other taxes that you've done to help poor people. And then they're like, you don't want to help poor people. You're not a good Christian. You're not a good person. And then they start doing Bible quotes and crap. And you're like, you have no idea how much I tithe. You have no idea how much I volunteer my time. You have no idea how much money I raise by doing shows for good charities. You have no idea, no idea, no idea. But they love to look down their nose. And like, who was the multimillionaire the other day uh, who gave like $93 million to some charity and then everybody jumped all over him like, that's not very much. 
you're worth a lot of money. $93 million is like $5 to you. And it's like, golly, you Yeah, there dick. were people tweeting that that was like, yeah, that would be like if, say, I made $55,000 a year and I gave somebody $45. I'm like, dude, that's not that. And, and that's honestly what drives people to not want to do things like that. But back, back to this whole socialism and you're not a good Christian, what, what drives me the most crazy as a Christian is when people start screaming that Jesus was a socialist. Oh, yeah. Because that's yeah. not true. Bring bring on a Bible quote. Hit me with a Bible quote about Jesus not being a socialist. Well, I mean, the, well, the first thing about Jesus not being a socialist is one of the first things that he says is render under Caesar what is Caesar's and under God what is God's. That's bada that, big, that, bada that, boom. that proves right there that he's not a socialist because I mean because he's he's still talking about things in people's terms and making them understand. Look, you and. But it's not about socialism because Jesus didn't say D- give your money so Caesar can do these things. Jesus commanded us to do those things. There you have it. There you have it. It's wild how everything comes back to this. It all comes back to the individual needs to be a better person. If all the individuals are doing their very best and living their best life and being charitable and doing good, then you don't need any of this crap. You don't need any of it. But for people to look to the government, help me, help me, federal government. Tell me how to live my life. Should I have that soda? No, we're going to make it so expensive that you won't be able to buy it because we know better. I'm the big government man. No, nobody know. And it's funny, but that's like what Jordan Peterson says, too. You know, it's like when you go to identity politics and, okay, well, uh, you know, this sub this group of people gets this thing. And then if the, if you're left handed, you get more. And if you only, you know, have 2020 vision, you get this. And it all comes down to the ultimate form of identity politics is the individual, which brings us right back to all. Everybody's created equal. And you got to you know, it's we're all created equal, but it's all not equal outcomes. My goodness. It was a little soapbox moment, a little soapbox moment. Those are good, though. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. There's one. Uh, there's a Bible thing my buddy always likes to quote about gun control, and he's like, uh, "Sell your salt. What is it? Sell your cloak and buy a sword." Yep. So there you go. So uh, not only was Jesus not a socialist, uh, he was a member of the NRA. <laughs> of the time, but yeah, I think the actual verse is: if you have cloaks, uh, if you have two cloaks, sell one and use the profits from one to buy a sword. I like it. I like it. Okay, now where are we going to take a turn? We're going to take a turn. I'm, I'm on thin ice here. I'm in territory that I don't like to be in. I don't like to be in, but I'm about to say the B word. I'm about to say the B word. Boycott. I'm thinking about a boycott. And I'm thinking about not only just me, but I'm, I, I want other people to, because most of my boycotts are personal. I have like a personal beef with a company. But now uh, I have been offended, and I might – I'm thinking about it. I'm not calling for one right now. I'll make it official if I call for one. But I'm thinking about doing it. Chick-fil-A. I was about to say, you know you just made the weirdest pun, right? You now have beef with Chick-fil-A. I have a beef with Chick-fil-A. That's a great one. I'm accidentally almost humorous. So here's, here's what's going on with Chick-fil-A. Uh, they were harassed by the LBGTQ community because they were giving money to the Salvation Army and, and, and some other uh, – some Christian youth 
athletic league, I believe. I might be wrong on that second one. But it was definitely the Salvation Army. And I guess the uh, the LBGTQ community says the Salvation Army is bad for their cause. So instead of going directly for the Salvation Army, uh, they were going after Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A, I guess, uh, writes them a check every year because the Salvation Army is helping out people who are addicted to drugs and addicted to alcohol and have big problems and, and they're trying to do good work. So, so evidently, Chick-fil-A was the problem. So Chick-fil-A caved. They caved. And uh, they're going to not they're going to no longer donate to this uh, Christian youth athletic thing. And they're no longer going to donate to uh, uh, the Salvation Army. Now, here's where it takes a turn. Here's where it takes. So people were so incensed. They were so upset because people have, you know, stood by Chick-fil-A. You know, you're allowed to run your business. It's like Hobby Lobby. You can run your business the way you want to run your business. If you want to be closed on Sunday, be closed on Sunday. You make a dang good chicken sandwich, we're going to go and and buy it from you. Turns out that Chick-fil-A, and I was really holding off on this, but now we have proof. Chick-fil-A has donated to the Southern Poverty Law Center. The Southern, that's right, you heard it, America, the Southern Poverty Law Center, who plays really, really loosey-goosey with their definition of, uh, of hate groups. Uh, and it, they, they get a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in trouble because uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, if they don't like you, they just go, hey, that's hate speech. You're a hate group. We don't care. You're now listed among those that hate and you need to be harmed. I don't dig it. I don't like it at all. And I don't like the Chick-fil-A. Why in the heck would Chick-fil-A donate to those people? And well, here comes actually, the other one. Here comes had, the other kicker. Well, you were I, muted. You, you need. You can go ahead and unmute. I, I it turns muted. out there was a uh, – and I'm, I'm going to pull up the article right now. There was an attack in 2012. In 2012, a domestic terrorist named – oh, God. I think his name was Floyd something. This guy Floyd – I'm bringing up the article now uh, – walked into the Family Research Council. He walked into a Family Research Council. He had 100 rounds of ammunition. He had a semi-automatic pistol, and he had 15 Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I'm not kidding you. So he walks in there. Uh, he starts shooting people up. A, a good person tackles him, gets shot, and disarms him. The guy gets uh, taken in alive. The FBI questions him. They're like, why, why did you uh, bring the Chick-fil-A sandwiches? And he goes, he wanted to kill people and then smear the Chick-fil-A sandwiches in their face. Now, this guy, uh, Floyd Corkins, Floyd Corkins was enraged by a Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. And he decided to attack the Family Research Council building because he had a map of, quote, hate places created by the Southern Poverty Law Center. So the Southern Poverty Law Center says, hey, the Family Research Council, they're a hate group. That's a hate group. So this guy uses the Southern Poverty Law Center hate group map, goes in there, tries to kill people, smear Chick-fil-A sandwiches in their dead faces, and then Chick-fil-A. And then Chick-fil-A says, hey, here's a donation. Here's a donation, Southern Poverty Law Center. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. So I'm thinking about uh, 
I hear that Popeye's chicken sandwich is real good. I hear that's pretty delicious. I need to try one of those. I know the Wendy's chicken sandwich is pretty darn good, but I'm uh, I'm not I'm not not riding high on the old Chick Fil A. So well, what I what I was trying it wasn't that I was muted. It's sometimes it's hard for me to tell when it's. I, I don't want to step on you because it's kind of. It, I appreciate it. Since we're I not sitting it. in the same place, it's hard for me to to get a cue. Um, but what I was going to say a moment ago is. Um, so two things. First, I didn't know about the Southern Poverty Law Center thing. That is kind of weird. But uh, Chick-fil-A actually put out a press release explaining why they, they're no longer donating to the Salvation Army. Now, it could be spin, but what they specifically said is they were going to start focusing on taking more actions at the local level. So they found individual charities and in areas where they're opening new stores that are going to be doing the same type of work that the Salvation Army was already doing, and they want to be able to put the money more on a local level. So whether that's true or spin, I don't know. But I, I, I'm over the boycott thing because people, people like I'm over the cancel cancel culture the culture thing because everybody tries to get us taken off the quote unquote air every other week on Twitter because we're not a real radio station and we stole somebody's call letters and I'm like you don't even understand how any of this works and I'm licensed to use these call letters so shut up. Okay, okay, that's that's if Chick Fil A is doing that. Oh, they need to uh, say that louder. They need to get that press release out there a little bit more. I want to know it. I want to know where they're giving their money. I want to know that they're not supporting the Southern Poverty Law Center. Here's a great idea, Chick-fil-A. Uh, stay out of politics and don't cave to the mob. Now, let's get to the whole boycott nature of it and the cancel culture of it all. I'm starting to come around to the way of thinking that there are there might be good uses for boycotts. No one is afraid of the right. Now, I know that's a harsh statement, but no one is afraid. Uh, and maybe we call maybe the right calls for boycotts too much. You know, hey, boycott Nike because we don't like Colin Kaepernick. Hey, boycott Pepsi because they had so and so in their commercial. Hey, boycott this. Hey, boycott that. But I'm telling you right now, Hollywood and uh, the media. They are terrified. They are running scared right now. They're so concerned about cancel culture and and the boycotts of it all. It seems to only be a one-way street, though. Uh, They're terrified of looking friendly to the right. If they look friendly to a conservative thing, they they say, oh, that's no good. That's no bueno. We we're, we can't do that because we're if we look friendly to the right, it'll cost us. It'll it'll hit us in our wallets. And I don't even know if the right has ever done anything to to hurt somebody's wallet because you always have these people go, well, you know, the the uh, capitalism. The great thing about this is the market will figure things out. The market will figure things out. And if people really don't, you know, I'm, and I'm like. The left is nudging the market. They're consistently, hey, get rid of this person. Hey, fire that person or we will or we will. It's like why would Chick-fil-A concede anything to the LTGBQ community? For real. For real. Like I, I've never seen uh, like a sign posted in a Chick-fil-A like, hey, if you're gay, don't eat here. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a lesbian, stay out. It's like literally, it's just a chicken place, and they seem insanely friendly. They seem insanely friendly, and I can guarantee <laughs> it seems like I've been in some Chick Fil A's where you're like, "Wow, that 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 young person helping me there—that's probably a homosexual <laughs> right there." What would you like with your sandwich? Would you like any sauces? So I just don't see 
why Chick-fil-A would not go under. It's crazy to me. It's crazy. So I'm 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 start I'm starting to get to the frame of mind of uh hey, let's uh let, we might we might have to use our, our our mass wallets as a weapon. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And I don't know why I'm so I'm so offended by this one. It's so weird. But like the Chick-fil-A thing, it really like it bummed me out because I feel like, wow, I helped support you guys. Like I would go out of my way. The, the nearest Chick-fil-A to me, listen, I could get to a Wendy's a lot faster. I could get to a Burger King a lot faster. I could get to a Popeye's a lot faster. But I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. And I, it feels like I, I, I took this one personally. Maybe I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve. All I'm going to say about Chick-fil-A is nobody makes a better rap. Really? It, yes. That, I've never I, even had one of their wraps. Since, I always get the spi- I get two sandwiches. I get the regular sandwich, and then I get the spicy sandwich. Well, actually, I have been, you know, because you know, I have this round problem, so I have been trying to cut back on my consumption of fried foods as much as possible because um, I live in the south and everything is fried here. Because <laughs> so, it's delicious. It, it really is, but unfortunately at some point your inner fat kid becomes an outer fat kid and then your doctor is yelling at you because your cholesterol, just it doesn't even say, it doesn't even say a number anymore, it just waves at you. <laughs> well, what you need... You need Bloomberg to tax some of these things to make you not want to eat them. No, because then I'd just lose my house for eating fried chicken. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would still be eating fried chicken. But I mean, so but I have tried to cut back on it substantially. So one of the things that I found that was really, really good is Chick-fil-A has a wrap. By the way, I dropped the article that I was referencing in the group chat whenever you want to take a look. Fantastic. Fantastic. I will look at that. And maybe now I keep thinking today Sunday it's Saturday I could probably go but I'm not I'm not gonna do it I'm thinking I'm I should you, go to Chick Fil A and try try the wrap but now I'm not gonna do it you 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 want to do it trust me it's awesome okay all right now I just said that it's uh, Saturday and it's not Friday which which led, led leads me to this do you know what happens on Friday what happens on Friday. Disney Plus uh, drops a new episode of The Mandalorian. Nice. Am I, I watching? Didn't, I didn't know their drop date because I. So here's here's my thing. I hadn't even been starting to be able to watch that yet because I wasn't going to pay for the subscription. I was unaware that my youngest son, who just got a job making what I make an hour and is right now still living at home because we're making and building nest egg first, decided to get Disney. So I spent most of uh, uh, Thursday. Actually, while everybody else was cooking, I was getting caught up on The Mandalorian, so I, I was unaware there was a new episode. So, yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, so you've seen episodes one, two, and three, right? Yes, I have. Okay. So well done. So here's, here's, here's where I'm coming from. Uh, it, it feels to me like we had two really good uh, – and this will be – I guess we should do a little bit of a spoiler warning. I can't, I can't tell you that – I'm going to try to dance around it as much as I can. Uh, but there might be some spoilers, that, minor ones that that slip out. So episode one of The Mandalorian and episode two of The Mandalorian felt like a lot of setup, you know, a, a lot of setup to me. Here's this guy, uh, you know, he's a Mandalorian. He had a rough childhood. These, you know, people raised him and now he's got the armor and he's a lone wolf. And, you know, but he's trying to do the right thing by his people and he's got to go uh you know, kill these people and bring them back. He's a bounty hunter, and now he's gonna grab this baby Yoda-looking thing, and he does that. Uh, and that's those are the first two episodes, right? So then in episode three, 
<clears throat> he gets worried about baby Yoda. And he's like, I can't do this. I can't leave that kid there. He has, we find out he's got a heart. He's got a big heart. So he goes in and he rescues baby Yoda. Uh, and then, you know, he's surrounded. If you haven't seen episode three, this is spoiler city. If you have, <laughs> I just realized that. Yeah. So, so, uh, so he's surrounded and spoiler alert, uh, a bunch of his Mandalorian buddies who are living underground. There are people without a home. They have no home planet anymore or whatever. They, they come out and they help him and it's just an action packed episode. And it's like Mandalorians flying around using jetpacks, using their flamethrowers, using their Supreme fighting skills. It's pretty darn awesome. It's pretty darn awesome. That was episode three. Episode four, in my opinion, and you haven't seen it yet, uh, it was an absolute train wreck. An absolute train wreck. As good as episode three was, episode four was just hot garbage. Now, do you remember in episode two, I believe it was, where uh, the Mandalorian uh, sets his ship down in the middle of a desert planet, which I'm tired of the desert planets. I get it. It's 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 Hollywood. It's Southern California. And they always use desert planets because there's a desert right in your backyard. But you got to change up the scenery, Disney. You got to change it up. So the Mandalorian parks his uh, parks his ship in the middle of this um, friggin' desert planet, comes back to it a couple hours later and a bunch of Jawas have stripped it for parts. He's stuck. He's got to go get all his stuff back. So you think, OK, there's a mistake he'll never make again. He'll never just park his ship. <laughs> that's the first thing he does in episode four he's like he's like i'm gonna park my ship and then they go walking into town and like it it, it boggled my mind it boggled my mind and then there's some bad guys that oh i can't i don't want to ruin it for you but that, he that keeps making right. I mean, these I'll, decisions I'll watch it later so i'm not i'm not that worried about it but I, yeah i mean honestly you saying that because i was kind of thinking the same thing well that'll be something that, that he never does again also thinking about the, the fact that you know there were jawas first of all that probably means the desert planet is tatooine which has a spaceport so why the hell didn't he park at the spaceport well you know what i don't listen there's lots of desert planets and this yeah, is i'm gonna sound like the biggest dork in the world but there's jakku many- that's where Ray is from. Jakku, that's another desert planet. Yeah, but as far as I know, but, uh, I haven't seen another desert planet with Jawas other than Tatooine. I could be wrong. I, I know. Well, then you're thinking, hey, maybe the Jawas uh, travel around in space too. That was, But I'm telling you, that was like one of the least of my problems with it. One of the least. I'm trying to be kind because you haven't seen it yet. We meet a couple of uh, female characters, a couple of girls. They introduce them. And I think they both signed on for season two. So we know we'll be seeing them again. So this was like an introduction to them. Uh, one girl knows how to act. The other girl does not. The other girl does not. It, it is a performance of the ages. If by the ages, I mean high school theater. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. At one. Oh, my gosh. At one. I, I can't I, I can't fully enjoy it because I don't want to ruin it for you. I thought it was just absolutely it was bad. As excited as I was about the series uh, last week, this week I was just like, "Ouch, that one hurt. That one hurt." So and, I, and they're trying to. I think they're trying to find good directors, and uh, you know, you got you got to take chances. This was uh, Ron Howard's daughter directed this. The girl from uh, Jurassic World and a bunch of other stuff. But, man, 
uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Mm, not my favorite director right now. So let's back up to something that you can talk about, because I'm kind of surprised when you're like, the whole first two episodes felt like it was kind of the preamble, the opening, you know, the backstory. Um, considering Lucas used enti- the entire T of episode four as backstory, I'm kind of surprised that you were surprised by a two-hour backstory. <laughs> no, that, that Luke, Lucas used what as a backstory? The entirety of episode four to basically, as a preamble to what was going to happen next, I'm kind of surprised that you were surprised by a two-hour backstory. <laughs> Well, here's the deal. You can't – like episode four, you know, you, you do meet everybody, but it starts off with such action. It starts off with such action. Uh, you're not – you're not like um, – I'm trying to think like how to, how to best uh, convey this thought. Episode four, I'm trying to think. There's no flashbacks or anything. It's not really that much – Backstory. I mean, you have to inform your audience. You have to let them know what's going on, and I think he does so brilliantly in the in the first in the opening shot. You're like, wow, here's a little tiny spaceship getting chased by this big giant spaceship, and uh, ooh, the dudes in the white armor look like they're the bad guys. And the and the, and the so I don't I don't know if that really uh, holds up under scrutiny. Here's what I'm saying about the Mandalorian. Uh, in the Mandalorian, you learn this guy's all alone. In episode one, he never takes off his helmet. He uses the payment to make more armor. He's got to go, uh, you know, he's got a boss, you know, Apollo Creed from Rocky is his boss, the head bounty hunter. Uh, don't betray that guy. He's got a job to go get baby Yoda. Uh, he does it. You could start in episode three. You could start at episode three and you get all that information. They have all that information in there. He's got a boss, bounty hunter, Apollo Creed. He's already d- done the Yoda thing. So, so, but maybe I'm just being nitpicky. I'm just being nitpicky. I'm very worried about the franchise. I'm worried about, and here is my proof that Disney is worried about it too. Baby Yoda is insanely cute. Baby Yoda is insanely cute with those big eyes and those big ears it's adorable. They kept that creature, they kept that character a secret. Disney did. What is right around the corner? Christmas. Christmas is right around the corner, and Disney has no merch. They have no Baby Yoda dolls, no Baby Yoda figurines. All they have is a t-shirt with an image printed on it. That tells me that Disney wanted to keep that on lockdown. They wanted to keep that thing secret. They were willing to pass up a lot of money, a lot of money on merch so that the audience would be surprised and delighted uh, by Baby Yoda. That tells me Disney knows they have a big problem. I think that this Last Jedi is going to come out, and uh, it'll make money. Everybody's going to see it because it's, you know, supposedly the end of the whole Skywalker saga. But the only real ending is it is they've, they've stopped making crappy movies. Episode eight was hot garbage. And there's no there's no two ways around it now. Like episode eight just just ate it. The characters were shallow. They keep going back and forth. Nothing means anything. And it's not an anti-girl thing. It's like Charlie's Angels just tanked. It just absolutely tanked. And the girl who directed that is like, oh, you you just don't like strong female characters. And then now everybody's like, shut up. 
We loved, uh, you know, we loved Wonder Woman. We loved Aliens. We loved all these other, you know, girl power movies. So it's just you make you make you make a crappy movie. We're going to call it a crappy movie. So Disney knows that they're on the ropes. If they if if they were confident, they'd have Baby Yoda merch everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, I so my my thing with Baby Yoda is somebody took Gizmo, took the fur off, and painted it green. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar with the big yeah. It is like a Gizmo uh, from Gremlins. Uh, like the same dimensions are there with the big ears and the big eyes. Gizmo was adorable too. That, yeah. Now there's a movie they should make again. I would have no problem if they remade Gremlins. I'm not sure if they're remaking it, but my wife just noticed because you know they have this whole 4D technology thing in a lot of theaters now, where they kind of give you like you know some some like a sensory immersion. Like if there's like a mist or something, they'll have misters going off. They'll bring fog in through machines, whatever the case may be. So they're about yeah. to they're about to release Gremlins in 4D. So I'm not sure if they're gonna like redo the one that was done before, or if they're actually relaunching. I haven't had a chance to look it up yet because she just found it yesterday. Because uh, my wife and I actually went to a movie last night. We just saw A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which was an absolutely amazing movie. Yeah? Yep. I, How was Tom Hanks in that? Was he just fantastic? He looks incredible in it. He's good in everything. Why don't, why? It's a redundant question, but seriously, how was it? You really enjoyed it? It was really, really good. It was so good, actually. Um, before we started doing the show, I was actually reading the article that inspired the movie because I didn't even know that article existed until I heard about the movie. The weirdest thing is Tom Hanks is actually a distant cousin to Mr. Rogers. They found that out. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. But yeah, even, That's my, pretty cool. even my wife was like, I can't believe how much he looks like him. And then like he, he used the, it, the whole, the slower cadence, all of it. I mean, by the end of it, you kind of thought you were actually watching Mr. Rogers. It was kind of, it was just kind of weird. But it That was, Fred it was, Rogers, he was a good dude. He was a good dude. Talk about having your heart in the right place. He was absolutely amazing. To the point where one of the, the things that came out in the article was, you know, uh, Fred Rogers was also always more of a heavy kid, so he was picked on a lot. So he spent a lot of time with puppets. Well, as he got older, he started doing things to watch his weight. Like he gave up basically eating any type of meat, started eating mostly vegetables, made sure that he swam laps every day. And he got down to uh, the uh, the weight of 143 pounds. And he said that, wow. was, that was right about the time that I started doing Mr. Rogers. And he said, as Mr. Rogers, I made it a goal to make sure that I always stayed that weight because Mr. Rogers weighed 143 pounds and Mr. Rogers was always going to weigh 143 pounds. The weirdest thing is, is he made the connection of not only was that important for me for my health, but 143 is also a shorthand for I love you. Wow. That's so cool. That's so cool. I love stuff like that. That is a that is the perfect way to wrap up the show. One, four, three. I'm digging it, man. I'm digging it very much. Okay, so that is the podcast. Thank you so much for joining, Rick. I love it when you're on, dude. I love it when you're on. It was a it was a great show. It was a well, lot I mean, of fun. The good news is let, I'm always here. I'm just usually quiet and pushing buttons behind the scenes. I don't usually. It's do all life. good. <laughs> it's it's all good. And uh, so here's what I want everybody to know. Uh, we're, we're back. I mean, we're always going to have a, a, a new show every every Monday. That's what we're endeavoring to do. We got lots of guests lined up for the future. There, there's always fantastic stuff at theloftestparty.com. And you guys, dear gentle listeners, need to uh, make accounts there. 
and you can post stuff and we respond to every comment. We that's where that's where the majority of the interaction is going to be happening from now on. I, I love the Facebook, but I don't trust it. I love the YouTube, but I don't trust it. I trust the loftisparty.com. So thank you Patreons. I'm reaching out to you guys about t-shirts. Pick out your shirts, pick out your colors, pick out your sizes and look for an email and a message on Patreon from the Loftus Party because we're going to get you squared away so Santa can come to town dressed in a lovely Loftus Party t-shirt. Have a great week. I will see you guys on the Internet of Things. Yeah.